Hello and welcome. We are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona. My name is Nate Huss. I'm one of the team members here. And thank you for joining us. If you are new, glad you found us. If you'd like to learn more, we are at restorationaz.org. And this week, we finish up our liturgy series and the teaching uh, is on communion. This topic is really important. It's really valuable for us as the body of Christ to understand what communion is and what we are partaking of when we join in communion. And so Landon Myers is going to bring the word as he dives into communion. Every now and then, I've shared this before, people will ask me, do you get nervous if you're, you're speaking or talking? And I really don't, hardly ever. Uh, I never really have, other than once in a while. And today is, is one of those days, not to be in front of people, um, but actually just because of the weight of the topic. We've been in this liturgy series talking about what we do together as a body, as a church. It's not individuals, but a body corporately together to draw near to the presence of our God. So we've talked about reading the scriptures and studying them together, about giving, about confession, uh, about worship and song. And then today we're going to talk about the topic of communion, the Lord's Supper, the the Lord's Table. And and this is a significant topic. When when I say nervous, I I don't know if I actually mean nervous, but there's, there's something so significant about what communion is that kind of in the, the, the words of Isaiah the prophet, I'm not worthy to, to speak on this. And so I'm going to pray and just ask the Spirit to guide our, our conversation. Spirit, may you work and move in our lives. May you provide us with clarity. May you give us passion, help us to be concerned with what you want us to be concerned with. Guide us in all that we do. We uh, surrender all of who we are, not just the part, not just the spiritual, but all of who we are to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You, you may or may not have, have noticed that almost every single sermon that we have doesn't end. Every now and then we'll have like a step or an action step, if you will. But almost always the, the words that come out of my mouth are that the only proper application to any sermon is to come to the table and to take communion. Uh, and those aren't, those aren't my words. Those are the words of, of one of my friends and, and mentors, Chuck, I've, as I've listened to Chuck again and again teach and uh, had the, the privilege to learn from him. Every sermon, he ends that way. And, and this is why, and it's so key, and maybe this is the, the sole takeaway for the morning. Nothing we do, no good, can come from ourselves. It doesn't come from within. It comes from Christ working in us. There's nothing we can do to change ourselves, to become better people, to receive forgiveness, to make up for the things that we've done. None of that matters. It's purely and simply just and solely the work of Christ. And so once a week, we come to the table after we learn, hopefully, and read the scriptures and have a time of confession and worship our God who alone is worthy of our worship. We come to the table not so that we can go do better, but to remember and acknowledge that Christ is working in us. That, that the, the hope our marriages have or, or maybe our kids do or our places of, of work and business, our neighbors and our neighborhoods, the hope that they have is not that we are Christians, but it's the Christ that lives inside of us. That's, that's huge. I remember as a, a kid, well, we still go to the lake a lot, but I have memories as a kid being five or six years old and, and going with my family to Lake Pleasant. 
and we'd get to have tons of fun all day. My dad would drive the boat and let everyone do whatever they wanted to do, ski, tube, whatever it was. And I have this one very distinct memory of, of being a little boy, and it was the end of the day. We'd all had a ton of fun, and my dad hadn't done anything. He just did whatever everyone else wanted to do and kind of served in that way. But then at the very end of the day, he was going to finally take a turn to ride uh, what was called the ski bob, which is this like two-person banana boat thing that turns into like a, a rodeo on the water. Whoever's driving just zips you around as fast and crazy as possible and kind of tries to maybe just barely hurt but not actually hurt the person riding it. And so my dad was going to finally take a turn. Uh, he hops in the water and, and hops on the, the ski bob. And then at the last second, I decided as five or six-year-old or whatever it was that I wanted to go with my dad. And so I said, dad, can I go with you? And he said, yes. And so I jumped in the water, not realizing in that moment, right, he's giving up his turn. It's going to be different, not the, the fun rodeo on the water, but just time with his son. And so he said yes, and I got on, and we were close to the boat at first, and then the boat starts to, to move forward, and the rope tightens, and we're getting further and further away from the boat. And then we start going slowly, and there's just this kind of like gentle splashing of the water in my face, and it's this fun time with my father until we start going faster. And then my five or six-year-old very brave self looks to the left and sees these massive waves that I'm going to be coming into very soon. And I freak out. I go, Dad, I don't want to do this. Let's stop. And he goes, we can't stop. I can't stop the boat, bud. He goes, but, but we can jump off. In my head, I'm thinking, are you crazy? That's an awful idea. That's what I'm afraid of. He goes, but I'll be with you. We'll jump off together. I won't let you go. And so we jumped and his turn was over. He didn't get another one, but I'll never forget that. I, I will always remember that moment with my dad that he would not let go, that I would not be alone. As I, I grew up, I, I learned a lot from my father. And one of the things he instilled early on is that anytime I met somebody new, I needed to look them in the eye and give a, a firm handshake and introduce myself. And, and that served me well. And I fairly quickly learned that in a, a tiny little town, a lot of people knew my dad. I got very accustomed to, to hearing these words, oh, you're Ty's son. Yes. Is that, is that good or bad? Could have been good or bad. Could have been a lot of things to them, maybe because he was hardworking and successful. Maybe that meant maybe one day I would be. But whatever it meant to them, it meant something very different to me to be Ty's son, something I hold on to today. To, to be Ty's son meant that I would be protected and cared for, meant that I would be coached and I definitely would be disciplined. It meant that I would have a lot to learn, but I would always have someone by my side that he wouldn't ever leave me, that wherever we jumped, we jumped together, and I wouldn't be alone in it. I will never forget that. I will always remember and feel and know what it means to be Ty's son. And that leads me to, to this morning's passion, or passion, passage, 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to, to 26. Listen to these words. Paul speaks to a group of people in a city uh, called Corinth. It's a, a church like us. We read this. For I received, he says, from the Lord, what I also passed on to you. On the night, uh oh, I lost my spot. On the night when he, Jesus, was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, this is my body, which is for you. 
do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he also took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant established by my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It is incredibly significant in my life still to be Ty's son, but how much more significant, incomparably significant, is it for each and every one of us to know when we come to the table, which we'll do here in a few minutes, you come to the table if you are a a follower of Christ as either a son or a daughter of the Almighty Father. You don't come to the table as a stranger or an alien or an exile. You don't come to the table as somebody that, that just barely made it in and escaped hell. You don't come to the table as as somebody that God's going to say, okay, you know what, you can come in, but we're going to kind of keep you at a distance because I know what you've done. You come to the table as a child of the Father. You come to the table as Yahweh's son or Yahweh's daughter. And when we take communion once a week, we remember that. This meal that Paul is describing here was, was actually a Passover meal, perhaps the, the most important holiday, uh, really the foundation, really of our faith as a whole, but especially of the, the Jewish faith and heritage. It too was a meal, you probably noticed those two words that emphasized in remembrance of, it was a meal of remembering. It was a, a meal where a covenant happened, a, a contract was, was signed in a certain form or fashion. And to be honest, we can't understand communion, what we're going to do here in a little bit, if we don't understand Passover. Passover is this national holiday once a year, kind of like the, the 4th of July in some ways, where the, the Jewish people would remember both what God had done and what he was in the process of doing. They would remember this time where they were slaves in Egypt, where they were abused and beaten, where they were malnourished and dying, where fathers were separated from their children, where they witnessed murder all the time. And in those moments of of pain and anguish, they cried out to the father, and this is key, he heard them. Maybe you're in a, a place in your life this morning where you just need to hear that. He hears. This father hears and he listens. He hears your prayers. He hears your cries. He hears your worship. He hears and he heard the the cries of anguish of his people. And so he responded and he went to Egypt and he performed these miracles that maybe you've heard of as plagues that were actually a response to the, the different pantheon of Egyptian gods to show that he is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the King of kings. And he redeemed and saved his people from that terrible place that they weren't meant for. And then on the last night, this thing called Passover happens, where uh, the firstborn in every household of Egypt died, unless they proclaimed who they worshipped and who they served by placing the blood of the lamb above their doorpost and sharing in this meal that would uh, become to be known as the Passover meal. Their role in it wasn't much. Make the marking with the blood and eat the meal and then tell the story. Remember again, again, again. Never forget. Not what they did. Not how they saved themselves from Egypt. Not their role in crying out or eventually walking across the Red Sea that God split. But remembering 
the love and the work of the Father who saved them. And in two ways, remembering what he did, he redeemed, he saved them, but then what he was doing, he made a promise that they would be given a land that would be fruitful, that their future was good and whole and right if they just walked in step with him. They were to remember both what he had done for them and what he was going to do. I shared this a few weeks ago, but that, that verb remember is used over 200 times in the scriptures. It's incredibly important. In the same way that the nation of Israel once a year was to commemorate, to celebrate, to remember what God has done. We do this once a week to remember what Jesus both has done past tense and what he is doing now in our moment. Let me read this, this passage again and, and listen to it with that uh, kind of history in mind. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three again. Paul says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night he was betrayed, they were sharing this Passover meal, the Lord Jesus took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and then the passage says, and said, and he said some very odd things. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this, consume it, take it in, in remembrance of me. Verse 25, in the same way, after supper, they shared the whole meal, Uh, covenants being formed. He also took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant. The old covenant was with the lamb and the Passover and God's promise to the people. Jesus is saying, in this moment, I'm establishing something new. This is the new covenant, a new contract, a, a new formal agreement established by what? He says, my blood. The shift has taken place. It's no longer the blood of an animal, of a lamb or a bull or a goat. It is now the body and blood of Jesus that he gave up. If you ever are curious, what's the price tag on your life? Jesus has answered that question and he said it's his life. He was willing to give up himself for you. That's a pretty high price tag. This cup is the new covenant established by my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. He says, my blood and my body. When we take communion once a week, we have to understand that something significant is happening. Something mystical even, something that that we actually can't even explain and and understand on our own. We're not just remembering something in the past, though we are doing that. This isn't merely symbolic, though it is also that. We are experiencing and receiving the presence of Jesus. That's his promise. He says, this is my body, this is my blood, this is for you. For, for the first time this year, my, my wife and I planted a, a garden, um, and I think we've gotten really lucky, and it's worked out pretty well so far. And I'm kind of mind-blown in this whole process, because half of these plants started with this tiny little seed. And I did some work to cultivate the soil and add the right nutrients and whatever. And I ran water lines and it has sun and we thought about those things. But at the end of the day, we all know that I have absolutely nothing to do with that little seed growing. 
I can help it, I can contribute in some ways, but I can do absolutely nothing to actually cause the seed itself to grow. Yet, months later, there's plants throughout the garden and they're huge and they're green and they've produced vegetables, tomatoes and squash and zucchini. It blows my mind. Communion, in a way, is actually similar to this, though, because one of the greatest mistakes that we've made in our Christianity and our following of Jesus is that we give ourselves too much credit. We think we change us. We think we make ourselves better. We've now accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Great. He did his work, and now I need to go become better or do better or serve more or give more, whatever. That's not how it works. It doesn't matter how much I actually one day learn about gardening instead of getting lucky, I won't ever be able to grow the seed. It just grows itself. In the same way as we take communion and you take the bread and the cup and you consume it and it goes within you, it is Christ transforming us from the inside out. He is growing and teaching and remaking you. His, his words and his promise as he provides to give us a part of who he is, his DNA, to make us into who we are made to be, to give us unity with himself. He says that we're reborn. We're born again. One of his disciples had a question and goes, how is this possible? Because what's impossible for you is possible for me. We're being remade, reborn in his image from the inside out. When we take communion, we remember what he's done. He has saved you. He has redeemed you. He has forgiven you. He died on the cross, but he didn't just die and pay the price. That matters a lot. But then he rose and we celebrate his rising and we remember that he's still working remember what he has done and we remember what he is doing, remaking you to be human the way you were made to be as a, a mother, a wife, a spouse, a daughter, as a, a son, a father, a husband, again, as a neighbor, as a coworker, as a person that shares streets with other citizens. He's remaking us to be human the way he designed us to be all from the inside Again, growing up, my, my dad used to tell me in, in times when he was facing something challenging, he would uh, imagine as he breathed that as he, he took a deep breath in, he would be breathing in Jesus and the spirit and what is good. The, the scriptures say whatever is true and noble and right to think and consider such things. He would do this with a breath in and then exhale and out would go sin and Satan and temptation. And there's just this imagery and this practice to focus on what the Spirit tells us to focus in on. And as we take communion, I think there's actually something similar that is happening. We take in as we consume and we remember what he's done. Again, he's given up himself. He said, you are worthy of his life. That doesn't make sense. But that's what he said, so it's true. And then he said, but that's not it. We exhale, and there's almost this fresh breath of relief to go, oh, wow. It actually isn't my responsibility to be the dad that my parents, or excuse me, my parents, the dad that my children need me to be. I don't know how to do that. But he's saying he'll do that work in me. I can't be the husband that Chelsea needs me to be, but he's saying he'll do that work in me. I can't be a leader, a coworker, anything 
that he needs to be, but he needs me to be, or has called me to be even on my own effort. But he said, I will do that through you. There's freedom in that. As we take communion every week, there's, there's value in, in, in doing this by yourself. Maybe you came here on your own, and, and that's good. I would encourage you, though, even if you don't know anybody, if I'm myself, one of our elders here, or staff members, or, or one of the team members, communion's actually meant to be taken together. We come to a dinner table, not an isolated seat. Again, it's okay, it's still good to take it individually, but whether you take it as a family and somebody leads this remembrance or, or you find somebody that maybe you don't even know here or maybe it's some friends or uh, uh, people that you're walking life in life with, there's value in taking it together. And here's what I recommend before taking it. Circle up, hold the bread and the cup and have someone lead a moment of just remembering. And it might sound ridiculous. Do we need to do this every week? Absolutely because we're astonishingly, ridiculously good at forgetting what he's done and what he's doing. And so once a week, my tendency, multiple times a day, is to go, I can do this by my own effort and energy and strength and willpower. And what Maddie said is so profound. It's never about our own energy and effort and willpower and strength. He had all the strength and he left his throne in heaven, as, as Nate saying earlier. What other king does that? No other king does that. And then he calls us to do the same, to say, no, I am not enough. Week after week after week, I'm not enough for my kids, for my wife, for anybody. But Christ in me is enough. And so somebody lead that remembrance. But then don't stop there after it's consumed. It says he gave thanks. Give thanks. There's rejoicing that should be done. There's a celebration that should happen once a week because we have hope in what Christ has done and in what he's doing. I didn't know Math, uh, Maddie was going to read Matthew uh, eleven twenty eight through 30, but I thought it was the, the most appropriate passage to, to read. And I want to close our, our time together this morning reading what she read earlier. If you're at a place where you feel lonely or broken or lost or not knowing what to do, which all of us will be at some point, here's what Jesus says. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It doesn't say, I'll make sure you know all the rules so that you can follow each step perfectly. It doesn't say that. It says, I will give you rest. All of you, take up my yoke and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Sometimes the, the best thing we can do is say, Jesus, I don't know what I'm supposed to do today. I don't know what I'm supposed to do in this moment. I don't have the answers and I'm not enough. But I know you are today and you will be tomorrow and there will never be a day that you aren't. And so I wholeheartedly believe that one of the most important things we do and if you start hearing a lot of takeaways and action steps from me on Sunday, come talk to me about it because that's not right. That's not the gospel. That's not what it's about. It's about coming to the table humbly. It's about surrendering. It's about knowing, Jesus, this isn't my story, but you were so good to love me and you're working now in this moment. That's a hope that can't be found anywhere else. Let's pray. 
Father, I come before you humbly and thank you for the gift of your son, of his love for us, that you would deem our lives worthy of yours, which is a love behind, beyond comprehension. Spirit, may you work powerfully to help us acknowledge and understand your love, to give up trust in self and to turn to trust in you. Unite us with your son. Help us to be concerned with what you're concerned with, to have eyes to see what you want us to see and ears to hear what you want us to hear and hearts to feel what you want us to feel. We, we surrender our, our time, our finances, our stuff, our space, our sin, everything to you because you alone, not even ourselves, are trustworthy with it all. We know that there's never a moment that you will leave us. There's never a moment that you will forsake us. That's what it means to be the son and daughter of you, Father. Allow us to know this. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to go ahead and continue to worship in song now. And we invite you, if you're a follower of Christ, if you're burdened, if you're questioning, if you don't know what is next, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. You have nothing to prove and nobody to impress, nothing else to do, but in essence to make the mark of the blood above the door symbolically simply by walking up and saying, Jesus, I need you. And he shows up. Feel free to come to the table. I encourage you to come with someone to, to grab the elements, gather as a family, as friends, find myself or, or one of our elders. And let's go ahead and worship in communion uh, here in the next moments. today and listening. Um, once again, my name is Nate Huss and I'm one of the team members here. And uh, if this is your first time tuning in or listening, we would love to connect with you. Um, please take a moment, jump over to our website, restorationaz.org. And uh, you can click that contact tab and reach out. You can also just check out who we are, what we're about, what we believe, why we believe what we believe and all of those things. Um, we also generally have our, our Sunday gatherings at 8.45 and 10.45 a.m. Every now and then we make changes, so check the website for uh, dates, times, and to confirm. But um, yeah, thankful that you are able to join in. And uh, as always, remember, Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus. Jesus.